Carrie, 1976, directed by Brian De Palma. That's right, guys. We're going to talk about Scary Carrie. Um, scary Carrie, Scary Carrie. <laughs> that dumb kid on the bike. Um, oh, asshole. Yeah, seriously, he deserved to fall off that bike. That was minimal punishment for being rude. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, this movie, we revisited it um, in October when we watch, you know, we watch a horror film a night. Not not too different from every other month for us, but um, we really <laughs> It's a commit. little higher pace. Yeah, we really commit to it in October because tis the season. But when I rewatched this movie, um, I mean, I've, I've seen it a thousand, thousand times. Um, it was when I was younger. If you've listened to this podcast, I you know kind of my history with horror films where I really wasn't into them because there was a lot of like torture porn coming out when I was supposed to be into them as like a teenager. Yeah. Um, But ever since I was a kid, I was kind of obsessed with Carrie. Like it was the one that I was like really into watching. So I've seen this movie a thousand times. It might even be the first horror movie I ever saw, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, it was definitely on cable a lot when we were younger. It was like the the edited version or whatever, but it was such an iconic thing that I felt like I'd seen it because everybody knows the pig blood scene. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah, yeah, just like you said. And when we rewatched it in October, it just kind of like brought up a lot of stuff that we tend to harp on on the podcast. So mm-hmm. on this podcast. So I was like, we have to cover it. I think it, even though it's it's been over talked about, I just think that it's important to cover. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we can't avoid doing. Um, yeah. <laughs> if nothing else, it's a, it's a, it is a classic. And we've done how many King adaptations we did now? We Cemetery. Have we done any others? Because we haven't done It. We haven't done The Shining. We haven't done... What's that other movie that I'm thinking of? I don't think we have. Misery. Yeah, we haven't Cujo. done Misery. There's so many. I think this is only our second. Oh, well, nice. I think. Congrats um, to us. <laughs> we're over a year old so forgive me if i'm wrong yeah. but <laughs> yeah jump online and tell us how many movies we've covered because we don't remember we don't know but yeah uh so something interesting about this movie is stephen king's i think his wife found it in like the garbage when he was writing the book yeah and he was like i don't know the first thing about writing teenage girls and apparently his wife was like look Behind every great man, there's an even greater woman, so I can help you. <laughs> and she kind of helped bring this to fruition. Yeah, it's it's really cool that this is sort of... I don't know, this is... I'm, I'm not... Okay, I'm going to get dragged to, to hell for this, but I'm not the biggest Stephen King fan. 
I'm I'm not either. I'm not like we stand him or anything, but I don't dislike him. I like him as a person. Uh, he's amazingly important in terms of the mainstreaming of horror. Definitely. I mean, we don't have the horror genre as we know it with the money we can now get behind it without him. That's yeah. just that's just a fact. Yeah. Um, and I don't dislike Stephen King. I just He's not a great writer. He's a really good idea guy, mm-hmm. but Jesus fucking Christ, he does not. He just, he gets too bogged down in like the the minutia of what's happening. Like spending seven pages describing a lamp is too many. True, very true. And so I I don't enjoy reading him, but I like his work as it's been brought to the public. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes sense. You can you can um, appreciate someone for bringing bringing horror to people in in a uh, palatable is a weird weird word choice, but I can't for lack of a better term. I'm I want to say palatable in in the way that it's still visually intriguing and exciting, but it's not like intimidating. Yeah, and I think yeah, I it's. He's just he's very accessible horror for a lot of people. Yes. I think that's that that's the the up and down of it. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was getting at with my experience with Carrie. Yeah. I watched it as like as a kid. So I think yeah, that's think that's that's exactly right. I think it's, you know, there's been better and worse adaptations of his work and I'd say that this is on the better side. Yeah, this and The Shining for me are quite successful adaptations. We, if you listen to the Pet Cemetery um, episode, that one's not. That one's probably a better book. It's it's kind of strange once it translates to um, the film. But yeah, I I think this one and The Shining are are extremely successful as far as adaptation goes. Yeah, and it's other than Misery, this is probably I, I would say those three are my top three of who like a good good adaptations of his work yeah we are also going to talk later about the uh second version second adaptation of this or the third adaptation of this which we'll get to yeah the remake it, the, this uh carrie has been so iconic that so many people have taken it and made different mediums there's a musical there is there is there was a remake with uh chloe grace moritz yeah right as as carrie there, there was Carrie too. The what? What is it called? Something oh, like um, some raging something. The rage or something like yeah. that. Um, it's not great. It's um, not. I've seen it. It's real bad. And, and there's a 2002 uh, TV made for TV remake. Yes. So this has been made into a lot of different things, and I think that, and we'll get into why it's so. It resonates even like 40 years later after it was 40 plus years later after yeah. it was released. So yeah. We are going to do our normal format, guys. Uh, Topher's going to lead us through uh, who made this thing. We'll talk about the cast, the crew, and all of that. And then I'm going to lead us through the plot, and then we will go into a further, deeper analysis. So, Topher, who made this thing? Well, let's see here. We've got a number of people, as usual. Uh, you know, films usually aren't just one person. True. They are sometimes. a village. Mm-hmm. And let's not talk about the village. So this is directed by Brian De Palma, who is just a fucking force. Um, he's made a lot of really, really great films. Also, some also uh, some not so great ones. 
But you would know him, obviously, from this. This is probably his big breakout, I would say. Mm-hmm. He had other films before this, but I'd say that this is his, like, sort of crowning achievement early in his career. Right. He did Dress to Kill, which is very famous. Um, the famous uh, Dancing in the Dark music video for Bruce Springsteen that made Courtney Cox a popular person. Shit, you're right. Yep. Uh, Scarface, The Untouchables, The First Mission Impossible. He also did Carlito's Way. Uh, and his worst video, or worst movie I've seen is The Black Dahlia. Great concept, cool idea. Doing like Poor a execution. Uh, yeah, I haven't it, seen it. So Josh Hartnett plays a detective uh, trying to solve the Black Dahlia murders. Okay. Uh, something <laughs> happened in it in the production somewhere where I have this distinct memory of my mom and I watching this, and we'll still make this joke at each other. Where we'll start just mouthing words but not making any sound, and then say what we were going to say afterwards mm-hmm. because the audio tracking and the video tracking are so bad. Oh God! Yeah, there's no sync in the editing. It's real bad. It's real bad. I miss your mom. She's amazing. Your mom's the best. Shout out to Nikki. <laughs> what up? Uh, it was also written by Larry Cohen. Another huge, huge deal. Uh, he did also write the original It miniseries starring mm-hmm. Tim Curry and a young Seth Green. Hilarious. Seth, yeah, Green, I, Seth Green has had a career to envy, truly. Really, really he has. Just he's just consistent. done everything, and yeah. I, he's always good. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hurt that your favorite movie is Rat Race. One of that. I do yes. love Rat Race. Rat Race is a great movie. It's just good, good clean fun. <laughs> uh, we had music from Pino Donaggio. Most, a huge career. Again, anytime we talk about a musician on here, it's impossible to list all their credits or that would take up our entire like hour and a half of yeah. <laughs> time. Uh, mostly known for working with Brian De Palma, mm-hmm. um, but has done just so many different horror scores. Did uh, Piranha, which is a really fun, campy 1978 uh, like monster film. Mm-hmm. He's worked with Dario Argento, who's amazing and super important to horror. And we haven't covered him yet, but we will. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tourist Trap, The Howling, Seat of Chucky. He did home movies, Raising Kane, Body Double. Like he's just done so many fucking movies. Um, but there's some. He has some really great scores, and I think the score here is really well done as well. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all the Italian composers of the '70s, just killing it. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, Mario Tosi, another Italian American working in film. It, it's the '60s and '70s. It's just you. You only have Italians working. Cool. The Italian film industry just popped off, and we America just like with Nazi ex Nazi scientists just stole them all. <laughs> right, of course, we steal everything. Yeah, it, probably his most famous other work would be Sybil, which came out the same year as this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sybil's about the the woman with uh, DID. That's right. Yeah, I think at the time it was called multiple personality. Most I multiple think at the time personality pers- disorder. Yeah, yeah. But now we refer to it just as dissociative identity disorder. So it's a nicer yeah, term, I think. The book is really, really weird. Um, it, it's it, like kind of terrifying. Like it reads like a horror film, but it's a true story. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and my mom actually went to go see an exhibit of the woman's paintings. I'd be interested in reading that. The scariest book I've ever read was so far that was also just very trippy was House of Leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's in. That sounds scarier than House of Leaves, though. I'd put it on par in different ways, for yeah. sure. Like, it's mm-hmm. not the same thing, but for sure. it's it's definitely sort of like you don't always know what's going on. Yeah. Um, and it's a little fictionalized, but you know, it happens. Yeah, it always does, yeah. So the editor on this is one of my favorite editors in, in the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still working, more or less. Not as much, but 
is so the editor was Paul Hirsch. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Fucking Star Wars, Jar- Paul Hirsch. Oh, and funny, a lot of, I mean, I, I think that this is actually very believable, so it's not like shocking, but it's um, almost all of the actors that went in for Star Wars went in for Carrie. Yes. So they easily could have been, they couldn't have been in it at the same time. So it, it, that's why we have the separation. Right. But they all went in for both projects or most of the teenagers. Right. Or young adults, I guess. I mean, it's, it makes but. sense, right, that you have... Carrie Fisher and, and Mark Hamill both being very young at this time. Mm-hmm. And everybody in this film was, I mean, you know, 20, they were in their mid 20s, right? Yeah. But like, a, a, I know PJ Souls was definitely like 26, I want to say. She's she in did everything. This. She She's is in, in everything in a baseball hat. I love PJ Souls. She is yeah. one of my favorite people. She was also in Rock and Roll High School as the lead. Yes. A stupid, that movie's dumb awesome. jukebox musical. I that love I that movie. Love. So Paul Hirsch also did Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mission Impossible, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Footloose, Falling Down, which is a great movie that mm-hmm. has kind of fallen out of vogue, but I really love it. Um, also did Steel Magnolias and Ray. That's uh, a lot. Which was his second Academy Award nomination. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, he's done over 35 features as an editor, which is fantastic. And it's funny, um, I've heard this from other editors, that they don't like to watch stuff, like other they don't like to watch or like per- take part in other iterations of like the media, the medium they work in. Mm-hmm. And so Paul Hirsch is one of those. He does not watch movies. He sa- he says he'll watch wa- he'll watch movies once, but he never rewatches them, hmm. except for the musical *An American in Paris* and *2001: A Space Odyssey*. Interesting. Those are the only two he's ever watched like more than once. Is what he says. Is what he says. Okay. Yeah. We I love think, a I mean, random fact. Well, it makes sense, right? You're an editor. Like, you spend all your time re-watching films. Totally. So it's like, ugh, why would I do that again? <laughs> totally. I, I get it. Right. But that's Those two choices are just really funny. Yeah. It's just a, two very different ones as well. Yeah. So in the cast, it's a dope cast. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of everybody in this. Definitely. Uh, obviously, we have Sissy Spacek. In the titular role. Amazing. As Carrie. Piper Laurie is her mother, Margaret White. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> Amy Irving is Sue Snell. Yep. William Catt is Tommy Ross. John Travolta's first feature first, film? First, yep. As Billy Nolan. Mm-hmm. Nancy Allen is Chris Harginson, the uh, the main bully. Yes. And who went on to marry Brian De Palma after this and act in a bunch of his films. Amazing. Betty Buckley as Miss Collins. Yo, when I, when I learned that it was Betty... Tony Award winner Buckley, I was like, wait, what? Because I already was going off about like how hot she is, and I'm gonna be honest, like <laughs> she she was the original Grizabella in Cats, so I don't I, I I didn't put it together that it was her. Yeah, she was like, also in Pippin a few look, years before this. Yeah, I, I it didn't look like her. You know what I mean? Like she, I've seen her dressed up as a cat singing Memory <laughs> perfectly. Yeah, so like. When I when when it clicked, I was like, "Holy shit! How come nobody told me?" Yeah, I was I, very mad. Right, I knew her from weirdly Eight is Enough because that was on reruns at like Nick at Night or something like that when I was oh, younger. Oh yeah, um, and I knew her for Pippin and for this. Uh, apparently, she's currently working on Preacher. Cool, which is dope. I haven't watched it, but uh, people love it. She's um, amazing. She's yeah. a force. She truly, truly is. Yeah, and then as we'd already mentioned, PJ Souls. Just a staple of horror films 
around for, this time. Yeah, especially. for like ten years. Yeah, from like like seventy four to eighty four. She even wears her baseball hat to the prom. Yeah, she does. The bitch it's knows great. what she's doing. It's great. It's you iconic. Make a choice. <laughs> Make a choice and stick with it. <laughs> so that's basically who I was going to talk about on the uh, the whodunits. Other than that, distribution was from United Artists. Red Bank was a production company. It's a tight runtime, ninety eight minutes mm-hmm. in and out. Did this? Did it do well in theaters or no? Because I, yeah, it did. It um, did. So it was for you know like a horror film, mm-hmm. which were popular at this time, but still like we were changing what horror was in the seventies. Yeah, we've talked about this in past episodes. We talked about the Omen and uh, Changeling, which comes after this, of course. But we've covered a lot of films from the late sixties and through the seventies because yeah. it's such a transitional period in horror. Yeah. Where you were moving from Vincent Price to sort of films with a little more gravity to them. Yeah, uh, for sure. Really trying to like push what horror can be. Turning it in, into like a, um, a prestige genre. Yeah. And that was happening all over the place in the 70s. Like cop dramas were just a, a nothing thing until the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Other than Hitchcock, you really didn't have that. And most of... Uh, actually, Hitchcock really hates cops in his films. So, you know, right. you, you started to see like more gritty unapologetic versions of cops yeah in the 70s and so this is like sort of going on all over the film industry mm-hmm. turning these like small genre films into prestige shit winning oscars you know yeah and this this movie also um takes a lot from psycho including like the sound effects and Absolutely. the music yeah. and all sound of that sound design was fully from psycho i think there's a direct there's cop a direct from it. Co- yeah, yeah yeah um which is awesome. Yeah. I think that's really well done. But it had a budget of just shy of two million, so it's one point eight. Um, it had fourteen and a half initially uh, by seventy eight, and then that was like, yeah, it went, yeah, in its first nineteen days from sixty markets, the film had already grossed three point eight million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kept going and ended up uh, the current count is just shy of thirty four million dollars in return on cool. this film. So. Congratulations. I know it's sort of boring to talk about money, but it, it does matter when it comes to film. I say that every week, but yeah, eat me. It's my fucking podcast. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's uh, that's what I got. You want to take us away on some plot? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we start off the movie with probably one of the most iconic scenes in the entire movie. And this, that's that's saying something considering the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so it's it's the uh, all the girls are in the shower uh, scene. Uh, in yeah, the locker, locker room, room. Yeah, in the locker class, room, yeah. most of them are showering, or if they're not showering, they are still naked, and it's, it's they're just being playful. They're like throwing things at each other, and they're like shaking their tits around. I know it's kind of funny because we were talking about like the whole male gaze aspect of things, and I, I'm, I'm the first person to be like, okay, like you, you stayed on that on that poor girl's butt way too long, or like whatever, but. I kind of see this as an artistic moment from De Palma. I kind of see it as like we are setting up to being like, look, we're going to talk a lot about uh, female sexuality and femininity and the power that comes with that. As Carrie gains her um, telekinetic powers as she's going through puberty, she's Mm -hmm. just got in this opening scene, she gets her period. And we were also joking that 
Kesarasara could just as easily be the opening of this. Absolutely. Like you can just hear it over it because it, it it's mirrored in Heather's yes. the opening shot here just in the way the ca- in the camera work it is. Yeah. The just quick aside of like funny things is like when I watch this movie I start singing Kesarasara to it myself. Fits. It does. It fits. Whimsical but like sad. Definitely. Definitely. And all of the woes of being a teenage girl in that song. Mm-hmm. Because Carrie is about to get her period, which also I I understand why this happens dramatically, but it is not realistic. <laughs> uh, whenever it's not, it, it doesn't just come like rushing out of you when you get your period. Well, you'll it, notice how many women I mentioned in the production of this film. It, yeah. <laughs> but I do get that they're trying to get something across. And right. it's, when you do get get your period, it's a lot less climactic than what they're showing. Yes, um, it's more of just like a ooh. <laughs> you, just, I felt like a little cramp, and there it is. <laughs> also, I know that every um, every woman is different, but this- so you're telling me that when you sneeze and get your period, it's not just like a really gory anime scene. Oh no, that's true. Oh, that's that was true. a joke. That's true. I'm about to get really gross, but when you sneeze, it feels like you birthed a jellyfish. Ew. Yep, I'm not kidding. You know what? Bodies are beautiful. Fuck that. I take I, re- I retract my ew. It's a little gross, but um You know what I'll it, say? Metal. True. Getting your period is the most metal thing ever, I mm. think. Mm. But anyway, so she, Carrie gets her gets her period but very clearly doesn't know what it is. Um she has blood on her thigh that gets on her hand because she's washing herself and she starts screaming. She runs out of the shower. She goes and like runs into the girls asking them to help her. Yeah, she's like terrified. She's and terrified. She's, she's crying. Her face is a mess. And she's just like, help me, help me. Yeah. And she thinks she's bleeding out, which with the amount of blood that's coming out of her, possible. possible. That's a possibility. Yeah, she has no idea what's going on. But the other girls take this, instead of helping her, um, decide to start throwing tampons at her and chanting, plug it up. Yeah, Sue, like, rips the face off the pad machine and just starts pulling out handfuls of pads. Which, like, girl, what? It's like, turns into the Hulk. <laughs> but, so, we we soon learn that Carrie lives with her fanatically religious mother, Margaret, I would um, say that's an apt description of what she is. Fanatically religious. It's pretty crazy. Like, ugh, she needs a lot of help. Margaret is terrifying. It's so scary. So, um, Carrie's having like a little panic moment. And then this is when we're introduced to Miss Collins because she comes in and she's like, What are you guys doing? Like, back up. And Carrie's freaking out. She like slaps Carrie. So she'll come back to um, her senses. And she takes Carrie to the office. And this dick of a principal. Set, keeps calling her Cassie oh God, Cassie Weiss. Him so much. And yeah. She's like, it's Carrie. Carrie White. It's Carrie, and just completely disrespecting her as an individual. Both both Miss Collins and Carrie have corrected him like ten times in this one scene, and it's so frustrating. And this is uh, the second time that we get an idea of her telekinetic power. Uh, first is in the locker room when she shatters the light bulb. Yes. Second is here where she's focusing a lot on an ashtray, um, which, God, Miss Collins smoking a cigarette in the principal's office with her little shorts and her that like period blood all over them it's from a, Carrie's hand. God, it's a moment. It is a moment and a half, and I love it. I'm Big obsessed. Mood. Big mood. So. So then Carrie is focusing on this um, ashtray and makes it fall to the ground and shatter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our second telekinetic moment. And 
she's sent home for the day. Uh, she's she walks home, and this is when she sees the little dipshit on on the bike, <laughs> being like scary, Carrie, and like weaving in between um, trees and everything. What a great shot, though. Yeah, just shouting out the best is a dope shot. It's it's awesome. And then this is it's when like hazy, and it's all everything's in the right side, right third of the screen. Mm-hmm. And then this is when she causes him to fall off his bike and we get that awesome like close up of her like stark close up of her face and we get the ar, ar, yep. and he falls off his bike and he's like oh man like <laughs> um again he got off easy he could have easily he, had a, he deserved a compound fracture after that carrie gets carrie gets home she arrives home to the non-safe space that is Opposite margaret of. her mother uh, Margaret starts yelling at her from the Bible. Eve was wake. Yeah. So I recently learned that that's what the line is. I've seen this movie so many times and I always thought that it was he was weak. Which changes it completely. Yeah. So it, just as an aside, I know we're, we're going through plot and we're in the first five minutes here, but it's an interesting thing to switch it. And I kind of wish it had been he was weak. Only for, for certain explanations of it. I love both lines. Yeah. But I it was interesting for me to learn that that was a line at 30 years old and having right. been I've watched this movie for 22 years. Yeah. At least. I only knew it was I always heard it as Eve was weak, but that's also what is written in the Bible. I just knew that yeah. it says Eve was weak. And I'm not much of a Bible boy. Yeah, I, I had to read it a couple years well in middle school, but uh so Basically, Margaret is telling Carrie that her the natural thing that her body is doing that she cannot control <laughs> is caused by sin and locks her in this. Basically, I keep relating this movie to Matilda, even though Matilda came out, you know, like 20 years later. But like, I don't know. There's like the Chokey. There's yeah. Miss Honey's, Miss Collins, there, mm-hmm. except there's no adoption. This is like Matilda if the worst thing possible happened. There's yeah. telekinesis. There's, you know, like these mind powers. Um, but anyway. I guess that's the connect between Roald Dahl and Stephen King. Roald yeah. Dahl is if things work out but still suck. Yeah. Stephen King is if nothing works out. True. That's a good That's a good fine point on it. Yeah. Like, that's great. Uh, so poor Carrie is locked in this Carry as hell like altar there's an altar in there with all these uh, all this religious iconography in this little tiny closet mm-hmm. this whole house is really scary and dark which uh, was the obvious choice to go with oh, of course because it's it's a nightmare yeah it's a nightmare and we also see margaret we see how people feel about margaret when she goes to her neighbor yeah um, uh, sue's mom sue's mom yeah miss snell and she's like, oh, fuck, Margaret's here. I'm going to give you $10 yeah. so you go away with your terrifying cloak. Oh, my. She literally wears a cloak, guys. She's the town witch, um, even though she's hella religious. Uh, so Six of one, same coin, yada, yada. She's she's cray. So we Unwell, see, yeah. yes, we see a stark <laughs> difference between Sue's home and Carrie's home here. Right. Sue's, Sue's home is a... I would just call it typical middle class house. It's got maybe even upper middle class. It looks like they've got some money, but it's bright. There, there's a lot of white. There's you know, there's creams. There's creams. It's it it looks very bright. And then you go over to Carrie's house, and it's like cab like the worst cabin in the woods you could have walked into. Yeah, especially with Carrie's room being that weird attic with no door. Yeah, this is 
like what the fuck she sleeps um, on the floor next to an unrailed stairway like there's no banister nothing it looks it looks like an girl. unfinished house and it's there's a note that we were talking about this with the for sale sign yeah that we're like oh did they just keep bouncing around is that something we didn't get from the book right so she makes she makes Carrie stay in this prayer closet Ugh. essentially with uh, that horrifying uh, crucifix where there's all the piercings in Jesus. And it's got like anime eyes yes. painted onto it. Big That's anime what eyes. freaks me out the most about it. I'm like, what is that? Why do you what look like is this? That? That's suspicious. That's, That's suspicious. weird. <laughs> um so she has to pray for forgiveness again for something that's natural that she can't control that her body has to go through. Okay. Yeah. So then we're back at school and Miss Collins reprimands all of the girls that were being dicks to Carrie and says it gives them detention and and one of the girls is like what if I don't show Chris yeah Chris yes of course it's Chris um Chris is like what if I don't show and she's like "Mm, well you know the prom's coming up so if you uh, don't uh, participate watch me yank them prom privileges from you exactly and Chris is like the shoe in for prom queen, right? Like she's yes. stupid hot. She's she's rich, popular. She she ticks all the boxes. In an abusive relationship with her boyfriend, a co-abusive relationship with her hot boyfriend John Travolta. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. So I do love this scene, the like boot camp scene, because mm-hmm. you can almost it 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 feels like a camp movie at that point. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean camp with a capital C. I mean like a uh, like a like a sleepaway camp non-horror film right yeah. like this is this is heavyweights like hop two one two for yeah. jumping jacks burpees run 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 yeah so chris is pissed uh and plots vengeance with john travolta billy nolan and and norma and norma yeah, yeah. pj souls yeah that's true um so they're like you know joking about the pig's blood and then it becomes like a real plan Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, So then they break into a local farm and kill the pigs to drain their blood into a bucket, which, ew. God, John Travolta is way too excited about killing a pig. He goes in. Yeah. It's kind of scary. And is like making jokes and kind of smiling. I don't know if this has to be pre-Scientology for him. Yeah. Because I do know the history of Scientology, and it wasn't as big in the States until around this time, but he was a nobody at this time. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the pig had, like, bad thetans or whatever. Yeah. So they come up with the entire plot and everything. Norma has the prom queen election rigged uh, in Carrie's favor just to Mm -hmm. get her up on the stage and everything. And so Sue, who is feeling really bad, she's kind of flipped on her morals. Yeah, she realizes that she was a dick. And she's like, ah, fuck, let me make this better. Yeah, so she gets um, her... Handsome and popular boyfriend Tommy Ross to invite Carrie to the prom mm-hmm. to try to you know she wants her to come out of her shell um, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, she's trying to she's trying to bring her into the fold and make her not a pariah. She feels bad. She's she, well, also she knows a little bit more closely about Carrie's mom. Yeah, because, they're basically neighbors. Yeah, because they're neighbors and because Carrie uh, Margaret goes over to Sue's place sometimes like we saw it in the beginning yeah so there's definitely like a little connection there and i'm sure that sue has overheard her mother talk about 
Margaret right. in a way. So I think she's just a little bit closer to the to this narrative than the other girls are. Yeah. So she starts to feel a lot of remorse and has her boyfriend ask Carrie to the prom so that Carrie can have a good night. Right. And I also I want to point out that when John Travolta and Chris are in the car together, it's it, it's such a it looks exactly like Grease because it really she, does. because Chris kind of looks like Olivia Newton-John at the end of the movie. Easily could, you yeah. know. So it's just so funny whenever I see that I think, "Oh, Sandy." <laughs> 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 so Anyway, with with the iconic um, hot dog jumping into the bun. Yes. Yeah. I think about that every time I see this part of the movie. But anyway, so... And no shade to Olivia Newton-John, but I would have loved to have seen Nancy Allen in that role. Yeah. It would have been fun, but Olivia Newton-John is kind of perfection. Uh, yeah, she is Sandy. Yeah. So... Sandra D. Sorry. I'm, uh, <laughs> yep. We're having a Keep Grease moment. In. I so, love Grease. It's one of my favorite movies. I don't care. I like certain moments of Grease. I won't say it's like my favorite, but it, I like moments. Um, Beauty School Dropout. No, like I said, there are moments. Rizzo's song. Stalker the, Channing is things, perfect. Yeah, there were things I can do. She was in her mid thirties in that movie. Yep. <laughs> Hopelessly devoted to you is a bop. Oh my god, um, so good. Beauty School Dropout is so fun, but beyond that, I'm just. Uh, Grease Lightning. Yeah, it's fine. It's wow. fun. Wow, hot takes from Nicole on the musical Grease, which is perfect. It's, we'll get into that later. But <laughs> so the way that Tommy gets Carrie's attention is they're sharing poems in English class and right. their douchebag teacher asks the class what they think of Tommy's poem. And well, Carrie, everybody's laughing too. Like they're snickering, you know? Yeah. Everyone's being just rude. Um, and then... And then Carrie says, I think it's beautiful. And then the douchebag English teacher goes on about this, like, oh, he starts reciting some shit about America. What uh, amber waves of grain. Yeah, he starts he starts saying uh, America, America, America the beautiful. beautiful. He's like, is that the kind of beautiful you're talking? Like, it's such a weird diss, too. He's like not very good at being a dick to Carrie. But he's yeah. being a dick. You he know? thinks he's so fucking funny. He's and he's not. just a douchebag. You're reciting America the beautiful. There's a version of this where, like, that role is bigger and played by Stanley Tucci, and it works. Or, uh, oh, God, who played the dad in uh, 10 Things I Hated About You and Paolo from uh, uh, Princess Diaries? Yes. Um, I know who you're talking about, but, yeah. A fantastic actor. He's he's, he's just a character actor who's so fucking good, but he would have been amazing in that role. Yeah. Wally Shawn could not have done it. He's too likable. Yes, true. You you need to hate this guy in a way, because he's just, he's rude. So mm-hmm. so then Tommy kind of courts Carrie in a way, like finds her in the library while she's trying to read up on telekinesis and yeah. everything. Is um, this like related to the Roseberry's Mamie? Roseberry's Mamie? I'm laughing because I've done that too. Is this sort of paralleled with that uh, Roseberry's baby? Roseberry's <laughs> maybe. Good God. Just say it slow. It's fine. Is this paralleled with that Rosemary's baby moment where she's like researching witches and shit and she finds the book All Them Witches? I want to own that book. I but do too. May- it's a real book. But maybe it is. I mean. It kind of feels like that, right? Like we we, have, I, we love a library yeah, moment, you know? We have a lot of, we have a lot of 
those moments with women in horror films where they're like sleuthing. Well, they're taking things into their own hands as, as where a lot of men in horror films just mm-hmm. assume that they know everything they need to yeah. know. Yeah, and I meant it's to mention It's children this. and women who do that. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, was, I meant to mention this when Vic and I covered Jennifer's, Jennifer's body. body. Yeah, mm-hmm. because Amanda Seyfried's character... Uh, 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 Needy. Needy, thank you. Yeah, when Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy, starts sleuthing about succubi yeah. and demons and shit, and it feels like... like I mean, obviously Jennifer's body is a bit of a love letter to Carrie. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think a tighter story, but that was something that was really cool to me is like seeing that like, oh, this is a reference. This is a moment that happens. Uh, we also get like, I don't know, there's a lot of cool parallels there. And I just like to relate back to past movies we've covered. Uh, yeah. uh, Meta analysis. So it's a cool thing here to see that after having watched something more recent, mm-hmm. you know? And being yeah. like, oh right, right, right. I did mean to mention. I did mean to mention that during the episode. But Vic and I were uh, unbound. <laughs> right. Yes. Definitely. Definitely. So I and I won't say I won't say all men here, but it's just so typical in in movies yeah. where like where you you always see it's either children. Like I'll even say, you know, Stranger Things. They go mm-hmm. to their D and D book, or they go to, you know, they the they, science teacher, the science teacher. They all, you know, that's one thing. But we have this like through line of women coming into their own power. Yeah, it's like and, a Nancy Drew moment, right? Yeah, and kind of researching how to hone that power. Right, and it's cool. Or you have, you know, in Rosemary's Baby, she's she's very skeptical and a little terrified. Or in Jennifer's Body, it's trying to take down your best friend who's become a succubus. Yeah. Instead so, of, you know, joining her and helping her out and uh, doing a thumb on the Wheeze thing. Basically what I'm saying is women be reading. Women be reading. <laughs> and boys be interrupting that reading. Oh, leave me alone. Oh, God, the amount of times. Sorry. <laughs> in college, I like everybody, I worked in a lot of coffee shops and yeah. in grad school too. And you would just, I would just like see men go over to women who are reading or like, I'm a bartender, right? Like I see this Yo. in the four times women reading at bars. Like I, I'm you always... would come to my bar when I was working and you would be reading at the end of the bar. Yep. some book you were super into. And some dude would be like, yeah, whoa, what's up? That's an invitation to talk, right? They always think it is somehow. And I'm like, oh, the contraire, sir. <laughs> this book is a shield and you are the thing I'm trying to shield against. God, I, if and I, and also I just like it. If, yeah, if I if I had a drink every time some I was waiting on you and some happily waiting on you, I was always happy to do that. And some guy would just walk up because I was reading a book. Because when you do something, when you go to bars that often, and I'm not meeting anyone, I'm not. I'm just waiting on you to get off and having like a nice wind down from work glass of wine mm-hmm. with a book. How was that invitation to come up to me? Yeah. How? But men are bold, so uh, <laughs> that's one word for it. Exactly. I'm being nice. So so Carrie obviously initially thinks that it's a prank. I mean, yeah. she's been predisposed to think so. Yeah, uh, this feels on, like a she's all that situation. Yes, absolutely. Um, but of course, he insists that it's genuine and even shows up at her house. And you hear Margaret in the background being like, Carrie. And she's like, you have to go. You can't be here. Mm-hmm. All this stuff. He drives up in that sexy Jeep. Yeah. And it's a sexy Jeep. And I, w- I don't say that about most Jeeps. Most Jeeps are ugly. That's a sexy Jeep. Yeah. So what eventually 
brings Carrie to saying yes is her conversation with Miss Collins, mm-hmm. where Miss Collins is kind of being a little idealistic and is saying like, oh, you would look so beautiful. Do you think about if you just put a little bit of mascara, a little bit of color on your lips and pulled yeah. your hair off of your face? Look at your beautiful face. Like all she's giving her like a pep talk. Yeah. Um, Which we'll get into why that's actually a really creepy scene. But yes. Uh, so. And also Tommy says like, she's like, why do you like me? And he's like, because you liked my poem. Yeah. There's that whole conversation in it, when they're dancing at the prom. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I and always then, think it's before because that's how I that's how I read her saying yes. But it no, actually it, it comes later. Yeah. She's asking him a ton of questions at the prom. Try, basically trying to get him to say that he likes her. Yeah. Or that's why? her hope. Or yeah. she keeps asking like why and he's kind of dancing around. Mm-hmm. And it's, you've got that, like the camera's literally on like a rig going in a circle. Yes. <laughs> around yeah. them while they're dancing. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Just like dizzy. But anyway, so back to like the middle of the movie. She's back at home. She is kind of we digging. montage, yeah. Yeah, she's digging into her telekinesis power a little mm-hmm. more. She's kind of tr- starting to hone it and own it. And she, she's developing into just like a, a very powerful woman. Yeah, she she's really coming off, into herself. Yeah, she shakes off kind of like that shyness. And um, we see her smiling a bunch. Yeah, she's very excited to go to the prom. She makes actually a gorgeous, almost timeless dress. It's beautiful. Because back in that time, you can easily have a fucking yeah. ugly one. But she makes like this very timeless, like silk, peachy, uh, beige. Yeah, like a blush sort of color almost. Yeah, satin number. It's like nice and long. It's got spaghetti strap. It's beautiful. The I would, shawl that goes with it. Yeah. I would wear it with a jean jacket today. Yeah. Or a and leather it's, one. It's so cute too when she's doing that. Like we get the montage of the prom, right? So mm-hmm. we, of prepping for the prom. So we yeah. get Tommy and his buddies mm-hmm. and that dumbass photographer kid who's like, I just don't think I'd look good in a tux. Yeah. And this part and is then, this. Sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. It was just like, it's it's cute to watch Carrie at the makeup store. Yeah. Drugstore, wherever she's getting her makeup. I don't know. It's Maine. I don't know where you get makeup in Maine. It's pre-Sephora. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she's trying on all the lipsticks. And right. the lady behind the counter's like, because uh, I think she's trying on the testers and she's putting it directly on her lips. Yes. And the, the lady behind the counter's just like, what? But she's never done this before. So it's this cute, it's yeah, just it a really cute. cute moment. It's endearing. And like, it's, yeah. So we get the montage, everybody getting ready. We get the montage, but that's paired with like one third of the montage, right? So we have the two happy moments, Carrie and Tommy. Mm-hmm. And then we have the sinister moment of Chris and Billy. Yes. And so it's really cool to watch like all the setup and like Billy's friend or cousin or whatever. Yeah. Who's dating PJ Souls, mm-hmm. Norma. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I want to jump in and help. He's like, oh, well, you know, we could have used. He's like, no, 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 I'm here. I'm, I'm down. I want to count like votes and shit. Yeah, let's go. Well, and it's all, it's all uh, such a fun tool because you've got happy moments, you've got kind of a relief, but you also are carrying so much dread. Yeah, it's you, a really nice uh, uh, juxtaposition. Yes, absolutely. So. So Carrie does her hair super cute. It's like these little, you know, very loose, wavy curls. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She looks amazing. A little bit of frame bang going on. Yes. And then, of course, Margaret is, you know, having a fit. Having just a crazy, just a moment, uh, in, in, an episode, I suppose, about about. Carrie going to the prom. They're gonna laugh at you. They're all, They're gonna, all laugh gonna, gonna laugh at you. And she's like saying all these things about like 
come here, we'll pray, we'll repent for your sins, and yada, yada, yada. Like she's begging her. She's like, stay home, we'll, 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 we'll pray, we'll do all this stuff. And Carrie's like, I'm, I'm going to the prom. He's like, he's here, I gotta go. Um, and, and then Margaret starts hitting herself and banging yeah, her Yeah, the head. self-flagellation shit, yeah. And she's like, stop hurting yourself, mama. And I'm... <laughs> God. Sorry, and, it's it's funny that like I know that they're supposed to be from out of town and that's why Sissy SpaceX accent is the way it is in this film, but yeah. it's just sort of very funny to know that it's in Maine and she's yeah. got this very like drawly like almost Texas yeah. drawl. And we should note that uh there's always there's always a for sale there's a for sale sign the mm-hmm. entire movie of their home. So and since they're quote unquote new in town, it leads you to believe that some crazy shit has happened to them that where mm-hmm. they've had to move because it's just them. Yeah. There's no father in the picture, so it's not like she's a military brat or anything. Right. Like no, this is this is shame moving. It's a shame moving. She, they've been probably shunned from a lot of towns. Yeah. So um so Carrie, you know, gets upset and, and uh I guess is is it is this when Margaret gets like flown onto like the bed or something yes yes she's trying to restrain her telekinesis yeah yeah so margaret's trying to restrain carrie and carrie's just like finally reveals that she's got telekinesis she's trying to open up to her mom about it too like she doesn't need her mother no she loves her mother and it's that um stockholm stockholm now i'm doing it you're welcome it's that stockholm syndrome where you love your captor yeah and it just happens to be her mother yeah um i mean it's cult shit Definitely. So she she loves her mom, which is really sad it's because so her mom does not love her. No. In she the quite the opposite. So and this is also where we get I can see your dirty pillows. Yes. They're boobs, mom. Um, they're breast, mama. Everybody. Oh yeah, they're breast. Girls mama. have them. Girls em. have them. I can't. What do you want me to do about it, lady? So she's trying so hard to just like let like de- not deprogram even just let her mom feel normal. Yeah, because she's feeling normal finally. She's like, this feels great. Can I share this with you? Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. This entire movie really is. But yeah, uh, she but starts calling scene, her a witch and like she saying she's possessed by the devil. And the, and Carrie's like, a lot of people have it. I've read about it. Oh, amazing. So we love a telekinetic queen. Mm-hmm. So she leaves with Tommy, of course. Uh, they they get to the prom. Uh, Chris and Billy start with their shenanigans. They're hiding under the stage. They've set. We see that they've set the bucket. Like They're all fighting. of this. <laughs> yeah, all of this is happening. Um, and we see, you know, Carrie having a genuinely good time. An okay time. Well, yeah, she's, she's a tried little, her best. She's a little nervous. She she's still on edge about like people laughing at her. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to dance. She doesn't want. You know, she's she's second guessing everything, but she's there. And she's reasonably skeptical. I mean, the, oh, half yeah. these people just threw fucking pads and tampons at her a few weeks ago. Exactly. So so we see, you know, she we know that she's going to win because Norma has rigged it. Mm-hmm. Um, There's that cute moment where she's like, well, who do we vote for? Ourselves. And she's Is that like, all right? No, we can't vote for ourselves. <laughs> but in... So I've always, I used to think that the second act of this movie went on for too long, but after watching it again, I'm like, no, 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 no. You need all of that yeah. build up for the payoff at the end. You need all, all of it is actually necessary. Like even, It's like the lodge when we talked about that. Yeah. That second act matters so much for how the third act actually lands. Mm-hmm. And it, it does drag on even when they're at the prom, but it's the rev up to the payoff. So you can't really yeah. knock it. So Carrie wins. 
she stands on stage next to Tommy and this like slow-mo moment that lasts in the film, even though even though it's like slow-mo, it's like 10 minutes almost of her just like waving. It's, it and feels like 10 minutes. It's about, it's about a three-minute scene. I think it's 10. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, we can split the difference and say like five. Sure. But it's it goes on for a really long time because we see we see Sue see the bucket mm-hmm. and then we see Sue see Chris and Billy underneath there mm-hmm. and then we see Sue and Miss Collins make eye contact right and Miss Collins thinks that Sue is the one who's going to pull some shit right so Miss Collins goes and gets Sue and drags her out and locks her yeah and locks her out and um Sue's freaking out and it's like no like uh, you know it's it's you can't hear any of it it's all inaudible it's all just music and you see Carrie you know looking it's really at, beautifully done here it's, it's all in this really soft focus mm-hmm. um everything's kind of got like a pink and blue light to it yeah um and yeah you get you get this w- completely silent but for music scene and like some like crowd noise mm-hmm. that's almost just like like yeah. it's white noise of a crowd mm-hmm and it's so beautifully done. Definitely, I, it's, it's probably one. It's it's one of my favorite soundscapes I've seen in a long time. Just in how it's designed, it's so well done. Yeah, and very very bold. Mm-hmm. So then, one of the more interesting choices, and I love this, is that right before the the rope for the bucket is pulled, Billy is clearly having second thoughts mm-hmm. and is like yelling at Chris and trying to stop her, yeah. which I think is such an interesting and amazing choice of like, he's had this moment where he's just like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This is mean. Yeah, this, this is, is stupid. It yeah. shows, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, that all of the characters in this in this movie live in a gray area mm-hmm. they're not good or bad and that's why we they're don't know super complex yes that's why we don't know who the villain is and I, I, again i'm going to elaborate on that in our analysis portion but that's one of those choices that i really love mm-hmm. it's complex and chris still decides even though her accomplice says no no no, no. I, I i really think we should just let her have this can we move on and they're this. just slapping each other back and forth. And then Chris pulls the pulls the uh, the rope for the bucket, and the bucket of pig blood drops and douses Carrie. And Chris and Billy sneak out of the school. And another great sound moment here: mm-hmm. the kunk kunk, yep. kunk 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 of the bucket, like rattling, and the handle of the bucket hitting the bucket. Yep. And the moment of everybody just taking it in. Yeah, you, of that you happening. You live with the audience. Or like with the crowd. And it's, it's shocked. so, so well done. So then the, the bucket hits Tommy on the head. He's shocked too. He doesn't know this is going to happen. Yeah, and in the mo- in that moment, there's PJ Souls is the one who starts laughing. Yes. Before the bucket hits him. Yes. And then it's unclear how many people are actually laughing. She's definitely laughing. Mm-hmm. She thinks this is great. Well, then we go into Carrie's head because mm-hmm. we even see Miss Collins laughing, but I think that can't be possible. It's not possible. It's what 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 I think is happening is Carrie. It's in Carrie's head. Yeah, she's because, hallucinating, right? Be, well, because she sees, she goes back through the entire movie, and what really sets her off is it's Carrie after like Cassie Cassie Weiss or whatever you keep yeah. calling her. And that's the last thing that she sees, and that's when she just like starts having her telekinetic yeah, and that moment. moment of, like she 
thinks she sees Miss Collins laughing and she recalls Miss Collins being so comforting and making her trust her. Yeah. It's the betrayal moment. I think that's really what sets her off is like the betrayal of Miss Collins. Yeah. In her head. In her head. It's not, I don't think it's possibly happening. Yeah. But in her head it is. So she has kind of a sudden fit of rage. Honestly, not, not shockingly. I'm pissed too. Yeah, no, it uh, fully justified. So basically with her using her telekinetic powers, she seals the exits from the Mm -hmm. gym. And first she sets off the hose. There's like a hose that, remember? Yeah, yeah. She pulls the fire. She locks all the doors and then she starts using the fire hose to like mow folks down. Yeah. And people are falling all over the place. There's this one guy who falls like three times and they always catch it. I'm like, is that an extra? Was he just like... (laughs) It definitely felt like a repeat shot. It did. So then... um, it's so then the gym is set on fire by mm-hmm. Carrie and kills most of yeah. the people who were there. I choose to believe that everyone dies, including Miss Collins. Yes. So, but Sue survives because Miss Collins threw her out. Mm-hmm. So Carrie, you know, watches all of these people who had ridiculed her. She watches them die. Carrie walks home, still filled, covered in pig's blood. Mm-hmm. And. Chris and Billy try to run her over with Billy's car because she's still alive. And Carrie basically kills them by overturning their car. Yeah, she just Causing them to skid and then it it, it flips and it explodes. Mm -hmm. So Carrie gets home. It's pretty creepy. Like every candle probably in the state is lit in her house, (laughs) Um, which I get that. I love candles too, but it's creepy. So she can't find her mom anywhere. So she just goes to the bathtub and starts scrubbing all of the pig's blood off of her. Smart call. Yeah. And then Margaret shows up and is, you know, still just, you know, having a moment, girl. Um, she reveals that she, that Carrie was conceived, um, by, during a rape, Mm -hmm. um, committed by her drunken husband. They kind of talk about, like, everything was good before we were married. We were, like, saving ourselves or whatever. We were being... Well, they'd had sex once before they got married, and then they got married, and then, yeah. They didn't want to do it anymore or something. Yeah, and it's unclear whose decision that was, and if it was, like... Who knows? She doesn't... it was mutual. It's it's really really unreliable narrator here. Yeah. We even get earlier that Carrie yells, like, he left, Mama. He left with another woman. Everybody knows. Yeah. So she like tries to paint him as like being dead or like vanishing. Yeah. Margaret is definitely making her own narrative here. She lives in a world that is not correlate to the one that we live in. No. Or that they live in. No. Um, and so she tells this whole story about how he was drunk. He smelled like whiskey and he gave her oh, that. Oh, whiskey. Yeah. He gave her that look and she, she starts like, she shamefully admits that she enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then that's how Carrie was conceived. Right. Is basically what we need to know about that. Margaret also says that she wanted to kill Carrie as a baby. Yeah, she or admits that. Her. Yeah, yeah. She, she admits that. And so then Margaret comforts Carrie because Carrie decides to, you know, give in and lay on her lap, essentially mm-hmm. give her a hug, which, again, is so heartbreaking. She loves <sighs> her mother, and it's really just sad. Um, and so then... Uh, Margaret stabs Carrie in the back with a kitchen knife and Carrie somehow gets, is able to get up and she falls down those bannerless stairs, falls down the stairs 
and Margaret starts chasing Carrie, wants to basically finish her off, mm-hmm. and Carrie uses her telekinetic powers to basically it's just a bunch of sharp objects it's not all knives but um mostly knives but yeah every sharp object in the house yeah and basically pins her mother to to the wall in a very like crucifix style so it mirrors the placement of all of those objects mirrors the exact like arrows in jesus body of course on that crucifix in her prayer closet how could it not you know, like it's, it's just good too parallelism. perfect. It's just you know, too perfect. It's a good kind of too perfect, though. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying it's bad. Uh, so then, you know, Margaret's dead, and Carrie destroys the house. Yeah, just burns the whole place down and dies mm-hmm. in the process of of uh, demolishing the house with her powers. Mm-hmm. So then, Sue. It's a couple, it's a little bit uh, down the line. We're not like next yeah. day or anything. It's a little bit down the line. Who is, again, the only survivor of said prom. Uh, she's dealing with, you know, the trauma mm-hmm. and everything. She's resting in her bed and and we see that her mom is like on the phone and kind of talking about her mental state. Right. And we see Sue has a nightmare. We know that it's in dream logic because it's a little hazy. She's in like a different, a weird dress. Like and a really the, like, pure white dress yeah and she walks up to the for sale sign and it's huge like it's yeah. way bigger than any for sale sign would ever be and in the shape of a cross and all of that yeah yeah and it says on it carrie white um burns in hell burns in hell and she lays the flower down and then carrie's hand comes up out of the grave and like grabs sue right so then sue wakes up screaming and her mother comforts her End of movie. Cut to credits, yeah. That's it. Um, which is hilarious because Sissy Spacek in an, in an interview was like, was like, they wanted me to use like a body double for that last scene. And she was like, I laughed at it and was like, no, I do my, I do my own handwork. Like what, <laughs> like why would you need a body double Of for course that? you can bury me alive. Yeah. She was chill. She was right. chill with it. But yeah, so that concludes our plot section. So funny thing about this movie is the... Production of it is almost opposite of what both Topher and I like. We always we always come on here and say this is this we always praise these movies that feel like a very cohesive unit and we feel like everyone just showed up and did their job. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that nobody did their job on this movie, but a lot everybody knows what the project is. Yeah, nobody was on the same page because in the same interview that Sissy Spacek is in, John Travolta and Chris, I keep for I I'm, I can't remember the actor's Nancy name. Nancy Allen. Nancy Allen and John Travolta thought that they were the comedic relief of the film, and they didn't know that they were you know kind of positioned as the villains um, until they saw the final cut of the movie. And then we've got Piper Laurie. She thought she was in a satire. Yep. So that explains kind of her, I mean, she, she, her performance in this is honestly incredible and she just goes for it, but that explains why she does not hold back because she thought she was in a satire. Right. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting mix of people. Like everybody in the film is doing something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting because it, if you, if you pieces apart, it is a bit of a, a bit of a mess, right? As you yeah. look through each piece, this, the random switches from horror to comedy. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't totally land if you're just analyzing it. Yeah. But as a total piece, it does. And again, I think that goes back to Paul Hirsch and Brian De Palma. Mm-hmm. 
as great as the cinematography is, it's it's gorgeous. It's really great, but I don't think that's what's doing the cohesion here. It's not what it's not what's gluing it together, right? right? So when we have what well, what we have is a really really beautifully directed and then really beautifully edited film, mm-hmm. and I think it's even though no one is on the same page, like you have actors doing God knows what against each other and all playing each other against the different ways. And like we were talking yesterday about method acting and why I think it's dumb, but Sissy Spacek kind of employed a little bit of that. Yeah. On this. Yeah, she did. And I don't know how much it actually helped, but we got a good product. So I don't think it hurt was the thing. Um, and what yeah. we're, what we're referring to is that Sissy Spacek walked up to the other actors who were playing the uh, other high school students and said, Hey, I really like you guys. And I really would love to go party and hang out after we're done shooting. Um, and I really respect you guys, but I want to let you know that I'm that I'm going to alienate myself on this set because I really want to feel the pain of that alienation. And just it's not a reflection of you. I think you're all really cool. Um, but wanted to let you know that it is on purpose and it will yeah, help it's me. it's a choice I'm making. It's a choice that I am making. And uh, one of the other actors said that they respected her a lot for it and said that it actually helped them feel like they could be mean to her because it would help her. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was cool that she was very transparent and upfront about that because I think a lot of actors, well, a lot of actors love to talk about method acting and be like, I'm, I'm method. I'm, you know, I'm doing this for this role and they like to feel really important about it. But I think, I don't know. I think it helped the overall vibe because nobody likes Carrie. No. Nobody. Except Miss Collins. Yes. So that, I think, ties in here a little bit. And it, it should tie into the next point we want to talk about, which is, you know, women in the film. Mm-hmm. Betty Buckley's character, Miss Collins, right? Yes. The gym teacher. Mm-hmm. So Betty Buckley has said, I was playing Miss Collins as a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is a queer woman. Yep. Which, you know, is a little on the nose for gym teacher, but it's 1976. Exactly. I'm not shocked. The stereotype was not completely developed then. <laughs> or it was, and you know what? Okay. But it was still, it wasn't as like out outright as it is today. That's fair. So, That's yeah. fair. So I want to talk about that scene where, the, the scene where Carrie makes the decision to actually go to the prom. Mm-hmm. There is, because we know that Betty Buckley was playing Miss Collins as a lesbian, mm-hmm. that doesn't come up except for how she speaks with Carrie. Right. And it makes it really gross. Because mm-hmm. it turns it into a grooming scenario. Oh, I see. So when we're talking about, like, we, we were mentioning how complex every character is. Oh, my God. Yeah. That really puts sort of a stain on her character that makes her far less like she you watch the film and you're like, oh, yeah, she's so sweet. She really just wants Carrie to have a good life. She's very protective of her. And then you get the uh, the behind the scenes information. You're like, oh, God, that's grooming. Right, and it's... That's like, that's some that's some nasty pedophile shit. This turn... It kind of turns this nightmare worse for Carrie because, oh my God, we we know she's stunted, obviously. Clearly, yeah. Um, And so when you get that... When you, when you see it that way with Miss Collins, you're kind of like, oh my God. God, she doesn't have anyone around her with pure intentions. Yeah. 
not a single person. So it just makes you feel even worse because in the beginning you're like, oh, good. She at least has a teacher who's like, yo, cut the bullshit. Uh Like, stop doing that shit to this poor girl. And so it's it just makes it even sadder that yeah. nobody around her has pure intentions with what they because she's a little meek she until she comes into her power mm-hmm. she it's just so sad it's really sad it's yeah. a, it's it the sadder it gets sadder the more you look at it yeah and i think it it's i initially had issues with the fact that miss collins dies mm-hmm. in the film uh and then i learned that and i was like well never mind she deserved that that's gross go burn yeah, because it, it again, it is it is a lack of pure intention, and so everyone in Carrie's life betrays her in one way or another, including Sue. Mm-hmm. Like Sue is betraying her by manipulating her boyfriend into making her the popular gal. This is a very paternalistic moment from Sue. Yeah, where it's like, okay, well. Carrie won't ever do this for herself, so I'll do it for her because I know better for her. Still no pure intention. Exactly, yeah. And it's it, it it's like the... I don't think that all moral actions have to be taken from a pure standpoint. No, definitely not. We are inherently selfish as humans. Maybe not inherently, but it does come into play, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Right? No, it's not. And it's, I, I want to walk not. that line a little finer than, than that broad statement. But yeah, I think yeah. it's, you know, I'm not Kantian, right? I'm not saying that the only good actions are actions taken with good intentions, or good actions taken with good intentions. But it's it's upsetting with Sue because it's like, what's your end game here? Because it's we see Carrie and Tommy kiss. Yeah, yeah. On stage, mm-hmm. full on the mouth. It's beautiful. It's a really nice moment between the two of them. Does Tommy eventually end up liking Carrie? We get a she's all that situation turning into a she's all that situation, right? We'll never like he know. ends up genuinely liking her, maybe. Yeah. But he dies as he gets hit in the head with a bucket. So we don't know. Right. And Carrie dies. So who cares? <laughs> It and Sue's the only matter. survivor and has all the survivor's guilt. And honestly, she earns it. Like, no one gets out of this film mm-hmm. scot-free. And I think that that's fair. And that's something yeah. I really appreciate about the writing on this. Like, Larry Cohen and Stephen King. Or Larry Cohen adapting Stephen King into a nice, tight package, which is very difficult to do because his books are fucking three inches thick. Yeah. This is one where I think this is a real... That's why I think it's such a strong adaptation. Mm-hmm. Because you get all of that. And you, you have to get some of it from behind the scenes, right? Yeah. But it's just it's an interesting movie, and I'm I'm still always confused by, but always very excited by a movie where everybody's doing different shit, but it still works. Yeah, like the Ocean's films are kind of that way. Mm-hmm. Everybody's there's so many characters that like every actor is bringing in something different, and not just because of the role in the heist. It's because of like how actors work. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, even though we always say like, hey, this is a project where everybody's on board, everybody knew what they were doing, and that's perfect. This is one where no one was on board? Yeah. Or everybody was on a different boat. And Which it's all sort so of the same fleet, but it's a bunch of little rowboats. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 definitely interesting, especially after reading that um, interview. So going back to kind of the moral play here. Yeah. All, all of these characters live in some sort of gray area, which I think is awesome. It's kind of like what I was saying with Goodnight Mommy and The Lodge, mm-hmm. where we're seeing teenagers not in a good, bad binary. Yeah, we're children seeing... of, any, of any age, yeah, because we've got like, yeah. what, t- they're like eight or ten in Goodnight Mommy. Yeah, and so now we're seeing a little bit of an older age group where you assume that they can, they have a little bit more responsibility. Right. That they would exude a little bit more um, emotional intelligence, but 
not always the case. So it's interesting to see that every single one of these characters in this film are, they're all complex humans. Mm-hmm. And they have to decide between right and wrong. And we can all kind of see ourselves in them because if you went to school ever yeah. in the world, you have either seen someone like Carrie, like Stephen King wrote Carrie based off of two people that he went to grade school with. Mm-hmm. You've either seen something, someone like Carrie, someone being treated like Carrie, or you've been one of those people who in the moment it felt like you needed to make fun of them or you let someone else bully them and were an, a bystander. Or you've been Carrie. Or, or you, you've been yeah. some version of Miss Collins. Hopefully not the, the pedophile grooming version of her, but the yeah. doing your best to protect someone who's being bullied. But yeah. you also maybe have ulterior motives or you're not fully supportive or you keep doing the wrong thing for the right reasons and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So within this, I it's a very it's a very flat idea that like, you know, these kids make fun of this one girl, right? Yeah. They target her, it's just a mess. But since we get so many glimmers and huge shifts with Sue, with Tommy, with with uh Billy at mm-hmm. the end, trying to get Chris not to do it. You you develop these complex these complexities within yeah. the characters that's not just it would have been a way less interesting story if we had just had like bully, 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 bully to the furthest extent. Absolutely. We get remorse. We get all of the shit that goes with being a bad person. We get development of character where Tommy's just a hot boy who runs track with beautiful blonde hair. Yeah. Which he actually, <laughs> I forgot to mention this. Um, he ended up playing Pippin a few years later. Oh my and God, like, he did. Yeah. And oh like how God, perfect yeah. is he for that cast, right? Oh shit, yeah. Because uh, he, I'm I'm like, like, I was see, like watching I like, him and I was like, why do I remember his name? It's like, oh my God, he was Pippin in the 80s. It like flashed in front of my eyes, like the, the vision of him singing like Corner of the Sky. Right. Um, and such a perfectly like baby boy face Pippin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also would have been, uh, okay, Luke Skywalker, I think. Yeah. I mean, I love Mark Hamill. He has a, he's a much better actor. They've got the same thing going on. At that age, yeah. Yeah, at that age they did. So Now he kind of looks like uh, Billy Connolly. Oh. But like the American version, like the surfer version of Amer- of Billy Connolly. Interesting. Which is, you know, not a bad look. No. no. It's cute. But yeah, I do I do love the complexity of characters in this. And it's one thing that I'll really, really compliment Stephen King on consistently is that every single one of his characters re- leads a very rich life. Yes. I've read I, about the first half of it, and all mm-hmm. of those characters are completely filled out. It's part of the reason these books yeah. are so long. He spends so much time on character, and that's actually the one thing I appreciate about him. It's this, it's like a, his scene setting, his mise-en-scene shit that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. But when it comes to characters, there's very few writers who do them so well. Yeah, and I think that's why horror is his genre. Mm-hmm. Um, is because, and fantasy, yeah. Yeah. Character-driven but, things, yeah. Yeah, because in horror, you you have the space to really develop that, and and in some stories it hinges on that because you in some stories you have to care. Right. It's funny. I'm thinking of um. So we're both pretty big fans of uh, Michael Swaim, right? Mm-hmm. The comedian and writer. Uh, he works for IGN now, but he runs the Small Beans Network as yeah. well. He started mm-hmm. it after Cracked folded. Um. 
he and I disagree about a lot of things. He doesn't know that because he, he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> but I'm a huge fan of his and have been for years and years. And I devour his takes on content because I think he and I agree on a lot of core things. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go left to go right here. Sure. So one thing he talks about a lot is that he prefers sci-fi to fantasy. Because sci-fi lets you explore character in a way that fantasy doesn't. Because fantasy is typically done as like big, big plot thing. Right? Yeah. Like, Game of Thrones was weird because you actually got to explore characters. Yeah. But the driving force of it is still a big, big plot thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even the characters are derived from plot, yeah. right? Uh, Lord of the Rings would be the same way. You have interesting characters, but those character bits are derived from plot. Mm-hmm. Horror, I think, is similar to fantasy in that way. Yeah. You're trying to get from A to B mm-hmm. in a certain kind of tone, right? So that's why it's nice when you have complex characters, but it's hard to develop them because what matters most in horror is the plot. Right. Because it, that's what defines it to a certain degree, right? Like this isn't horror or not, but this is something I've been wanting to bring up when the appropriate movie comes up mm-hmm. is how plot and and tone are what define what horror is as opposed to comedy or drama or what have you, right? All yeah. the other genres it blends into. So... I think what makes King a unique writer and what draws people to him is that he's not worried about plot. His plots take forever and are kind of meandering for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. Like, look at The Shining. That's a meandering fucking plot. Yeah. And even um, from what I understand, the book Carrie is a very meandering plot. But the reason it's like that, and it it is definitely that way. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, that, That book is so goddamn long. Like I've said, I've only gotten halfway through it. Yeah. Um, not for lack of trying either. But I think that's what draws people to King is that he actually takes the time to work through character. And so people are drawn to the character, even though they, even they wouldn't explicitly say that. Like look at the uh, the Dark Tower series or something like that, right? Yeah. Those are things where you're so focused on character. Like every single time I hear someone talk about the Dark Tower, they don't talk about the plot. They talk about the gunslinger. Totally. They're ta- they, when you talk about it, you talk about Pennywise. You talk about Bill. When you talk about Carrie, you talk about Carrie. You're yeah. like, you don't talk about the plot of it. No, that's As opposed to like true. Evil Dead where I'm like, oh no, the plot is really cool because it does this, 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 and this. Yeah. Or like we talk about The Lodge. The characters are interesting, but I'm really more interested in the plot because the plot's really cool. The writing's really well done plot-wise. Yeah. So for him to take two genres that are typically only plot-forward and to flip them, I think is really cool. And I, you right. know, I, I want to give compliments to someone who I actually don't really love as a writer, but I can see why people love him. You know, totally. so, I'm being, so I'm being fair, right? Well... Humans want to relate to something. And again, this is a very relatable scenario and movie, even though there is sci-fi and horror elements to it. Yeah. We can all see ourselves in someone in this film. Yeah. Or in multiple someones. Like you're at, these are all aspects of human nature, right? Yes. Of like, okay, jealousy or revenge or horniness in John Travolta's case. And well, and feeling like you don't belong, even if it's not on the scale that Carrie's at. Right. Like, you know, that's kind of exaggerated and it's it's leads to everyone dying. Absolutely. I mean, Um, I I hated high school. I've been honest about that. I was a bit of a pariah. I did not fit in. I was not supposed to be there and I was made very clear, but I was never Carrie. No. No one ever dumped pig's blood on my head. No. No one even cared enough to. So everyone can see themselves in some in some way in this movie. So there was a study done asking women why they go and see horror films. Sure. When 
women have historically been treated terribly in said films. Typically the why stars you, thereof, but like, yeah, never why do you, well. Why do you want to watch this film where someone is, where a woman is getting mutilated or mm-hmm. manipulated or both and all of this stuff? And I think this is more true for contemporary horror films. And when I say contemporary, I kind of mean starting around this time that this movie came out. Um, sure, maybe yeah, a little bit before. Years. Yeah, women in in horror, women in horror tend to have more agency than in any other genre. Absolutely, I would completely um, agree with that. Yeah, there are absolutely the Pollyannas, as I call them, the fainting ladies. Mm-hmm. There are absolutely, you know, some really shitty things that happens to women in horror. But the eighties weren't great. Yeah, but we've started. This movie is a perfect example because. The men in this movie are pawns. Oh, yeah. There's no they're man who makes all, his own decision. They're no. all pawns. Yeah. No man has agency in this. This is a women-led film mm-hmm. completely. This is one of those rare cases where every single woman in here has knows what they want and goes for it, you know, uh, through, through hell and through fire and <laughs> yeah. quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> and the men are pawns on a on a chessboard yeah that's it um so that's what a lot of people a lot of women said about this is why we go and see see them because we want to really see cool. how people how you know the development of of the way that women are being treated and this kind of ties into what i'm trying to say about who is the villain in this yeah so when the book came out everyone thought that carrie was the villain and maybe it's the way that it's written and maybe she's just way less likable or something in it and but when it came out people thought that carrie was the villain sure i mean she's a mass murderer that's it's it's a fair interpretation yes no it is i'm not saying it's not but we've developed compassionately right in a way to where it, it's kind of shifted over the years where some people now think that it's, you know, it's it's Chris and Billy who mm-hmm. end up, you know, dumping the pig's blood on Carrie and that's, that's tormenting our, that's her. That's a pretty strong argument. Yeah. And then some people think that it's Margaret, her mother. And then some people, uh, because she's the whole reason that anything ever happens to Carrie, she's the whole reason that Carrie is made fun of. She's yeah. the whole re- like, she's the whole reason. And but then some people kind of take it in in more of an ethereal route and say that actually religious ideology is what is the villain here. You were so close to saying society is the villain. I was just going to call you JD. Society. I was so ready. Society is the villain. But <laughs> because this school was society. Oh my god. Sorry, Heather's a musical. Listen to it. It's amazing. And and I get the argument for all of them. The last one. The, the more abstract idea. Yeah. I also get because religion can be used as two different things. And this is also something that Stephen King has said. He said, he said, look, I'm, I choose to believe in God because it gets me out of bed in the morning. And it, he's dealt with a lot of stuff. Like I, yeah. Any, any addict who needs religion to get well. Yeah. Hundred percent. Go for it. Whatever you need. As long as you don't fuck other people over with that, go ahead. Well, and that's what he was saying. He was like, religion is extremely powerful because you can use it to just get yourself to a higher place mentally, Mm -hmm. or you can use it as a tool 
to and a weapon and a weapon and you can really hurt people absolutely like it's such a strong tool i mean it's 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 the way that this country is so you know divided in a way thank you jerry falwell yeah and it's just so he's got a he's got a point there yeah he's got a he's got a huge point there where um the the margaret is fanatically religious to a point where she in turn kills a whole you know she she kills everything around her Mm -hmm. through carrie in a way so but you could also say that these kids didn't have to go that hard and pour pig's blood and do a whole scheme that involved five people you know so so there are a lot i i think the last villain on this list is carrie yeah, I. She, I think she's the victim. I think, yeah, I mean, I, I 100%. Um, she's the perfect example, though, of someone coming into their power and people being afraid of it. Absolutely, yeah. No, this is this has got a lot of parallels, like with um, the witch, right? Yeah. Or any any sort of like uh, the craft would be another one of this. Or yeah. um, we were comparing the the prom scene to Jawbreaker when we were watching this as well, which is amazing. I love that yeah. Jawbreaker kind of took that. And ran yeah. with it. Oh, of course. Fantastic. Yeah. But inverse, where it's the villain yes. getting that due. Yeah. You, and that's, you get it's, more a, it's a cool reference and it makes the yeah. movie even better. You know, rewatching mm-hmm. it, re watching Carrie after what, having watched Jawbreaker really makes it a cool. Yeah. You it get enhances the, my love for both. You get the satisfaction in Jawbreaker of it being the villain. And in Carrie, you just get ultimate, like, sadness and yeah, dread. Yeah. Just depressed as fuck. You're just sad. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a. I, I like the interpretation that it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to say like chris is the obvious villain right i think she's the only irredeemable portion of this because she did a bad action and was pissed that she had to face consequences Mm -hmm. and takes that out on the person she took the bad action against right yeah she doesn't take it out on miss collins Mm -mm. she doesn't take it out on the principal who agreed to her suspension and dismissal from or like barring from the prom yep she doesn't take it out on the other girls who didn't roll with Mm -hmm. her right like it's like that uh like gang mentality right yeah like she said, all for one and one for all, and they said, "Bitch, we are going to prom." <laughs> yeah. So she like tries to have this sort of revolutionary moment and all these things, and so I understand where she's hurt and frustrated, but also she doesn't deserve those feelings. And so Chris is the clear villain to me. You can also have more than one villain. No, absolutely, and I think it's if, a, if we want to go with the shit theory, storm of a yeah, narrative, if we here, go, like, so. okay, so if I'm doing like an actual like analysis, she's the antagonist, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie is the hero yeah. or protagonist, at least. It's yeah. Carrie's story, and uh, Chris is the one in the way of Carrie's story. Mm-hmm. That being said, yeah, I mean, like, the, there's this uh, Carrie's life is stacked against her, and there's no version of it that comes out okay. Yeah, and we have that's not the first time we've seen that. It wasn't the last time we've seen that, but it is a story I always really love. Is like. Oh no! Your whole life is just never gonna go well because of the things that have happened around you, to you, near you, whatever. Dread. Yeah, yeah. I would say, like, I was listening to um, Imaginary Worlds earlier today. They were talking about Cowboy Bebop, mm-hmm. and I think Spike Spiegel is a very similar character to that. Like, you've seen a little bit of it, and you understand who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a character who never could end well. Yeah. Because of, um, they actually really pointed out a really good thing about trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, trauma always follows you, no matter how much you try to get away from it. You either deal with it mm-hmm. or it it burdens you and destroys you. Yeah. It was either never ultimately go or well for yeah, Carrie. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's full of trauma. She is uh, born out of trauma. And there's a very Greek notion to this as well of like, oh, it's like um 
It's a fate thing. Yeah, born out of trauma, traumatic life. Dies uh, in trauma. Dies yeah. in trauma. Yeah, it's very, very, very Greek. Um, totally. But I do think it's a really... I, I think that's what makes it so beautiful. I think that's what makes it such a beautiful adaptation. So it does focus on that. I think that's what De Palma's doing here. And I'm really sad that he hasn't done more horror. Yeah. He really... He's got a sense for how to build that story. Definitely. Definitely. And again, shouts out to Hirsch. Editors make such a difference. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a lot of this film that does not work that's on the cutting room floor. But... Yes. This movie is somewhat, in my opinion... It's definitely a cautionary tale because you're seeing what happens when you isolate, neglect, and harm. Abuse, yeah. Abuse one, manipulate one girl at a school and the entire school is, they're dead. Right. Everyone is dead. So it's kind of a cautionary tale of like, if that can happen with you mistreating one girl, what would happen to an entire society if you mistreat... A group of people. Yeah. And I want to be clear here. I want to make a really quick distinction and say something that's probably not going to be super popular, but I'm going to say it. Carrie is not blameless here. Um, no. Because she is a mass murderer. The, yeah. the Her version of consequences is so blown out of proportion relative to what the, the harm was, right? Yeah. And I, I bring that up because I don't, want to, I don't want us to sit here and be plausibly defending say like the columbine shooters no absolutely i I just want to be really clear about that very explicit that like carrie is not a hero no she's a protagonist she is not someone to look up to she's not someone to praise and again she it's 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 uh asymmetric response right and i want to say something about that asymmetric response yes she is emotionally mentally even physically stunted. Yes, absolutely. So that is also due to the abuse from her mother. 100%. And I'm, I'm, again, not trying to redeem her in that way. I'm just trying to explain the out of proportion... Definitely. ...reaction to yes. what happened to her killing literally an entire school. Yeah. Um, I, at least a, a whole senior class, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so I, I just want to make sure that we're not defending that. Like, I was heavily bullied and I definitely had asymmetric responses to certain bullying, but that was, you know, a punch as opposed to yeah, something else, you know, well, or, like, we, or like a fight as opposed to like a, a shove or something, you know, well, then we that's what I mean know. to say. It's like, there are asymmetric responses. And of course this is just, this is fantasy and all of that, but I don't want to justify actions via fantasy. Yes. Sure. And absolutely. That I, I agree with you 100%. It's a dangerous um, trap that you, we can fall into, right? Like no, you're so sympathetic I, for a character that you forget that they fucked up royally. Like Akira has this too. Well, and that's why, uh, that's why, again, these characters are so complex. Yeah. There's nobody that you can let off scot-free in this movie, and that's why it's so devastating. Exactly. And I think that, I think that also with with uh, responding asymmetrically to these things, when you're in high school, it feels like your whole world. It absolutely is. It's what yeah. captures. This is what captures De Palma captures so well, and Larry Cohen captures so well about what this story is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I also wanted to just touch on the uh, the whole like going back to the first scene in the movie when when Carrie gets her period. Mm-hmm. You can't help but think that it's setting you up because in think about classically in horror films when someone goes through a change. Yeah, we've got like Teen Wolf, 
when you know like we've got stuff like that sure yeah no 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 i just i just love teen wolf entering a conversation well you know what i mean though puberty allegory for like turning into some crazy you know like yeah x-men like all of all of that so changes and i put that in like air quotes like changes not the david bowie song um no not that one i put changes in in air quotes because classically in horror narratives other narratives everything like that when your body goes through changes your mind goes through changes and the way that you interact with people you go through changes and often in horror films it's like it's it's like in a lot of those witch movies when the woman starts bleeding for the first time she gets her powers you know what i mean it's just yeah it always correlates it always correlates so i and i have always read that because of my um extensive study on witches (laughs) i have always read that as when women develop in a way that they can use their sexuality as their power Mm -hmm. it scares the living shit out of especially especially men yeah and that's where the whole term witch came from men were intimidated they were scared that that women were coming together and 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 um communicating and they thought that they were conspiring against them. Sure, yeah. And they thought, like, you know, there was this whole, like, love magic thing. They thought that the the, euph- the euphoria that they felt when they had sex was evil. Right, yeah. Shout out to the Love Witch. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. So um, I kind of, I can't help but think about that when I think about the correlation of her getting these uh, telekinetic powers mm-hmm. and starting her period and developing breasts as her <laughs> dirty pillows her dirty pillows let's use a let's use a scientific term dirty yeah pillows. dirty pillows right i'm sorry um <laughs> i can't help but think that like i mean that's the time that she really comes into her own and has the first growth moment that we have seen because again she's super stunted you see it when she's like mama yeah. I love you, Mom. She doesn't know she anything else. She sounds like a child. She talks like a child. She talks like a child. And she is a child, but she talks like a much younger child. She talks like a seven-year-old. Yeah. And she's 17? 16, 16 yeah. 16, 17. Um, so, yeah, I can't help but think that that just adds another layer to it. Yeah. It brings something else to mind, too, of just like, it's a discussion for another day. We'll do it on another witch movie that we do, but the cis-normative narrative of witches. Oh, yeah. That it comes from bleeding is like there's a lot of women who don't have periods but that's what i'm saying is that like it that's not for this movie but it's just something i wanted no. to bring up just no so we definitely can say it off, off, off time definitely not and i and i'm here to say that that any anyone anyone can say can say they're they're a witch i'm down mm-hmm. with that i yeah. don't i'm not i'm not saying i'm not trying to be like jk rowling over here and be like <laughs> only you know what i mean i'm not i'm not trying to say that i'm only trying i'm only basing it off of the historic text that i've read 100 yeah just, just being clear you know we just got to do our work um and so yeah i just wanted to be clear that i'm like not we are not endorsing a cis normative uh narrative Absolute, about witches absolutely not it's only it's only the correlation that um these books have had between yeah women bleeding and, and and all of that but yeah you are absolutely right yeah it and i agree with that we are we are anti-turf over here <laughs> heavily <laughs> all heavily. gender expressions can be witches exactly exactly i would love that on a shirt you know all gender expressions can be witches yeah great we'll put it on the t public store all of them we gotta witches. start one of those um that's what all of them witches means yeah 
all of them witches. All of them witches. They were all witches. Uh, yeah. So that I, I mean, it, we've had a lot of fun with doing this. I, it's it, this is I really love analyzing this film. It's so fun. It is. Um, I'm going to go into Topher's little hot take corner, if you don't mind, for a minute. You know what? I've been there. I, I, I live there some nights. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I get put there. <laughs> Time out sometimes. Let's go for it. What is it? <laughs> so my hot take for today. Because I haven't had one yet on the podcast. Other than like Stephen King is overrated. Um, is about the 2013 remake. Oh, yeah. So... Shout out to my wonderful wonderful friend Dina Klimkina Yukubovich. Uh and her husband, Crisp Xtina mm-hmm. Yukubovich. So when they were still dating before they even got engaged, we were all living in Colorado. Uh, they were down in Denver. I was up in Boulder. It's a you know, short drive. Not that important, but hey. So Dina is one of my very, very dearest friends and also a huge horror fan. Mm-hmm. and loves Halloween and yada, 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 right? And Chris is the same way. So one summer, or one not one summer, Jesus Christ. So one fall, they're like, hey, uh, come down to Denver. We'll hang out. We'll go do like a haunted corn maze, yada, yada. It's going to be a good time. And we'll go watch the new Carrie movie. Mm-hmm. We were stoned. It was Boulder, or it was Colorado. Weed was legal. Who fucking cares? Chris abandoned Dina in a haunted corn maze to die at the hands of a Leatherface character. It was fun. She's still alive, but you know, relatively speaking to the narrative or the, the the fantasy that we were living in that night. So we go and have a great time. Uh, it was a fun, fun movie. And we come out of it and we're all enjoying it. There were a couple of other friends with us. And then we are all talking about it later. And we're like, wow, apparently everybody hated that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people are wrong. It's a fantastic movie directed by one of my favorite directors who does not get enough work. It stars, as we said earlier, Chloe Grace Moretz. Fine yes. actor. Not the best person we've ever seen, but she's got, she knows what she's doing more or less. And she was like 16 in this movie. So she's actually Carrie's age when she was, as the actor. Yeah. Julianne fucking Moore plays Margaret White. Awesome. Awesome. And Judy Greer plays Miss Collins, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think they changed her name to uh, Miss Desjardins. Okay. Because I think that's what it is in the book. Oh. So this is supposed to be a more faithful adaptation. And this is when Stephen King said he wanted Lindsay Lohan. To play right, Carrie when they right. started floating it in 2011. Mm-hmm. And he even said, he's like, why would you make it? The original was so dope. Like, he usually kind of does not like adaptations of his book, as most writers don't. Alan Moore is a famous one there as well. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I loved the original. Why would you remake it? But fuck it. I don't care. Give me more money. Yeah, he, he <laughs> said he loved the artistic direction of it. He was like, I don't have that eye, but... but the direction of the original one was just so amazing. He was like, I was yeah. blown away. So they ended up attaching Kimberly Pierce to the project. There were a bunch of other directors who went through it. But if you don't know her name, you should. So she directed Boys Don't Cry and Mm. Stop Loss. Nice. Both incredible, incredible movies. Boys Mm -hmm. Don't Cry has its problems, but its heart is very much in the right place. Yeah. And Stop Loss is a really, really cool film about that is heavily critical of the military. Yeah. And probably one of the best critiques of the military I've ever seen. Because mm-hmm. it's all about how uh, bodies only matter until they're done f- shooting brown people. Mm. And how um, soldiers are abandoned when they get home. Right. Beautiful movie. So I really, so that's all to say, like, the direction was already going to be good. 
This mm-hmm. woman who's you only got two features under her belt, but two incredible features, both of which were nominated. I know uh, uh, Boys Don't Cry was nominated for multiple Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if Stop Loss was, but it's one of those that I'd argue definitely should have been. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, she did the remake of Carrie. And the only argument I've heard against it that's good is that it's a little too smooth. They took off the edges. I feel that way a lot about remakes. But Evil Dead, one of our favorite remakes, or reboots or sequels or whatever, that did that too. That one is the outlier. It smoothed it out. It doesn't have the weirdness. But somehow made it scary. <laughs> yeah, and actually I think that the the remake of Carrie really goes into that. Like They, they lean a little more into the bloodiness of it. It's a little more like... You get some like uh, uh, some takeaways from the torture porn mm-hmm. subgenre. Like there's a scene where, um, well, there's there's a lot of really great beats in it, but there's one specifically, there's two specifically I want to talk about. One is that we see much clearer the abuse that uh, Margaret puts Carrie through. Yes. We don't get a lot of that in the original. Right. We uh, get enough, honestly. I don't it's, really... It's more implied <laughs> than it is shown. Yeah. yeah. It's, it. yeah. It's, Yeah. It's it's a showier show. Yeah, <laughs> don't tell. So right, um, we see Margaret smack Carrie in the forehead with a Bible. Oh, hard, and it's I, I actually can still hear the sound it makes. It's beautiful, uh, but horrifying. The other one is after Carrie locks her mother in the closet. Right. Julianne Moore doing the most Julianne Moore things that she can do, which is be one of the best actors of our time. Mm-hmm. Claws her way out. With her fingernails. And so there's these really like rough, rough, sickening beats Mm -hmm. that are beautiful. And I think it was really well done. Again, Chloe Grace Moretz, not as good as Sissy Spacek. She's a little too, like, I hate saying this. It's such an annoying thing to say. She's a little too pretty. Right. Strong jaw, big eyes. Yeah. She's, She's very classically pretty. Right. Sissy Spacek is not classically pretty. No, she's she's very putting in she's a certain very way. interesting looking. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to comment on women's look as a a, a male bodied person. I'm just trying to say like, no, there's ways that you have to look at how you tell stories, and it's because people are stupid. But well, it's 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 an objective thing because I mean, Sissy Spacek, they already had an idea for who they wanted. They were almost gung ho on whoever. It, oh, it was going to be Mackenzie Phillips. Is that so? Yeah. That also, I which is actually the connection to American Graffiti I meant to bring up earlier, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have hated that choice. I don't think, but they were like, um, Sissy Spacek got um, got an audition because she, her husband was working on the project. Yeah, he was he was in the film industry. He's lower level, but he had enough pull to like get, at least get her seen. So she showed up in like a raggedy dress. She said that was from like her childhood that she hadn't worn in you know years and years and years, and she just put um, Vaseline in her hair. Yeah, it was like really weird to everybody. <laughs> and was almost told immediately that she got the job. But she went into it knowing that they were gung-ho about someone else and that they weren't really looking anymore. Yeah. It was interesting. But- so, yeah, anyway, so I think the remake is really well done. Um, it definitely amps up some of the, the gore and the blood. It's a lot more... Um, it's sanitized in the sexuality a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Because... Chloe Grace Moretz was underage. Yeah. Uh, she was a child at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, a respectful way to do this. It was interesting to see a woman tell the story, though. Yeah. Um, and Larry Cohen came back to write the script. Mm-hmm. They had originally hired Roberto Aguirre Sascasa, okay. who wrote Spider-Man Into Off the Dark, uh-huh. to do the screenplay. And it was supposed to be like a more faithful adaptation. That was a big move at the time. Mm-hmm. And 
um, he had adapted The Stand mm-hmm. previously, which is another King work. Um, but then they were like, ah, you know what? This isn't landing. Um, hey, Larry, what you up to? And they brought him back. So it was cool to see two versions from the same writer, but have a different director at the helm. For sure. Um, and the acting was really well done. Like, you had a uh, young Ansel Elgort as Tommy, which, mm-hmm. like, he's so tall. <laughs> I'll have to watch it. I, I was, I will admit, I was deterred from seeing it because a lot of people didn't like it. Um, yeah. I will, I will watch it, though, because uh, I, I obviously trust your opinion or else I wouldn't do a podcast <laughs> with you. But yeah, I, it was, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was a much sort of, it's, it's a different take on it mm-hmm. and again having julianne moore fucking powerhouse as margaret white was really what sold me i thought uh, yeah. she was amazing as margaret white which she's when is she ever bad right but that's awesome though yeah it was a lot of fun um it's a little different in the take uh it's definitely darker it's not playful at all there is no play to it mm-hmm. um they tone down some of the sexuality amp up others mm-hmm. because again chloe grace moretz is so like traditionally pretty yeah. And Ansel Elgort is so traditionally pretty that yeah. they kind of played with that a little bit more. Yeah. And Tommy comes off a little less shiny mm-hmm. in the in that version. So anyway, it's a that's just a little like plug for it. I think it's worth watching with something else in mind. You know, it's another one of those movies that I think was panned when it came out and deserves a re uh relitigation of how good it actually was. Yes. You know? Totally. Um, it's, it's a very similar script. It's the same story, but it's just done a little bit differently. And I think, I think that can be jarring to people. And that's it probably is. And why. people are so attached to originals. Like yeah. there are versions of that that work. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's versions that don't. Like we talked about the Omen remake and how shitty it is. Or the yes. Am- Amity of a Horror remake and how shitty that is. Right. Sometimes you're j- it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't need to be there. It doesn't need to happen. Yeah. But when you bring something new to the table, I think that's what's good. Right. You yeah. don't just like do it with Ryan Reynolds. You do it with Julianne Moore. Well, and I mean, you could you could equate it to when musicians cover a certain song and sometimes it's like you just sing it like a karaoke track. Like, yeah, why, exactly. why am I That's listening exactly to this? That's exactly what I mean. Yes. It's the difference um, between karaoke and a proper cover. Yeah, where like where sometimes you're like, oh, this is awesome. Like you added something to it. Who knows? You know, like whatever. But um, I think that you can directly equate it to something like that. Yeah, we could talk about the Lucy Dacus cover of Dancing in the Dark, which brings us back to Brian De Palma. Like Lucy Dacus' <laughs> cover. Big circle. Of, yeah. Lucy Dacus' cover of Dancing in the Dark is incredible because it brings something new to the table. Yeah. It's a pretty straightforward cover. But it's still But it's done in her style that... and it's just different enough. It brings something new to the table. It's part of the conversation of, it's cool. of, uh, of art. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really, that's what I'm really trying to get at when we come to adaptations, remakes, all of that. Is it's about the conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. That we shouldn't be just, you know, reprinting, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think, um, like when we talk about the Amityville horror. The Amity... I can't even say it. Yeah. God damn it. When we talk about the remake of The Amityville Horror. Yeah. We're talking about it, that's karaoke, right? Yes. Or when we talk about uh, The Omen, 2006, yeah. that was karaoke. Yeah. If you brought great actors to the table. You had Julia Stiles. You had Leif Schreiber. Like, those are great actors. Should have been amazing. Wasn't. Yeah. And it just... It, and sometimes I think even as an audience member, you sometimes feel like it's a cash grab when yeah. it's like just a direct like remake. You didn't really put any, you know, it, you didn't really do any changes. You, it, it's just kind of like, why is this here? 
Yeah, when um, you, do you shot just for put shots, new right? actors in it. Yeah, and, shot for shots with different actors. Yeah, I will say too that uh, Carrie the musical is actually pretty good too. That's one um, I need to actually listen to. You were filling me in on parts of it last night, but yeah. it's pretty good. Uh, Stafford Arima did oh. directed um, a really great production of it um, with Marin Maisie as the mother. Rest Shit. in peace, Marin oh Maisie. Um, we lost her to uh, cancer a few mm-hmm. years ago, um, and. I could, I honestly cannot remember who else was in the cast, but I'm like, it it was amazing. And Stafford was kind of the perfect person to direct that. Um, I've, I've worked with him before, not, not to name drop, but, um, I, I just knowing his demeanor, he's just kind of, he's got the creativity to really bring that sort of story to life. And he did exactly that. Um, it's it's awesome though. I do love horror musicals personally, yeah. and it's it was a really cool adaptation to screen from screen to stage. I mean, awesome. Yeah, yeah. This it, is something that always has to come up. I mean, we have to talk about adaptation and how it succeeds and how it doesn't when it comes to these sorts of things. Yeah, and when there's so when you have such an iconic film, mm-hmm. talking about how you're adapting from the film and not from the source material mm-hmm. is really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people do that with like going back to the original book or whatever, and trying to redo it that way. Mm-hmm. But I like that both of these, even though the original idea of the Carrie 2013 remake was to go back to the original book, it ended up kind of being a call and response between the two of those things. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciated that. And then it's cool to hear like that the musical is so good. I need, I know I need to listen to it. This is like... Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those that's been on my list and I just haven't gotten around to. Yeah, it's, um, it, it is a lot of fun. There's some, there's some really good songs in it. Big bops. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I think that that's kind of all I really had to say. Yeah, about, I mean, about there was a lot to now. say on this. You know, I think there. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was so inspired to do it. I I didn't ever think that we would cover something that was you know, or I didn't think we'd cover this movie because it's just kind of, it's a little too popular. It's a little too done. It's all of all of those things. But yeah, when we rewatched it, I was like, there's actually a lot of stuff I want to say. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you for indulging me. This was this was my pick this, for this sure, yeah. week. But uh, so, yeah, uh, thank you so much, babes, for tuning in. You know where to find us. We're on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. We're on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And you can always find us on our website at horrorbabes.com. Big ups to Seth Haken again for the music. We love it. Everybody loves it. It's so dope. Um, I listen to it all the time. Not just because I edit this podcast, but also because I just listen to it because it's fun. Yay. <laughs> thank you, Seth. All right. Uh, Till next time. Bye, Bye, babes. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe.
যাবে